0: This Marketplace podcast is supported by Invest Puerto Rico. Build the future in paradise. Puerto Rico, a hub for innovators brimming with world-class talent and a thriving entrepreneurial ecosystem. Learn more at investpr.org
1: backslash marketplace today. So Drew can hit his buttons. That's right. It's all about buttons. <laughs> Me <and> Walter's <laughs> like, no, wait, God. Uh,
0: Not quite. Almost. Uh, there we go. He's like our version of George Jetson. That's right. Hello, I'm Kimberly Adams, and welcome to Make Me Smart, where none of us is as smart as all of us.
1: I'm Kyle Rizdahl. It is Tuesday. That means a single topic on this podcast today. Artificial intelligence is our subject of choice, because really, what is it? People are talking about it. How big a deal? All of that stuff. We're going to talk about it.
0: Yeah, we want to know how far AI has come, not just in sort of the public mind and narrative but and the actual technology as well as where it's headed because some researchers have come out saying that they believe in some cases ai is
1: just as smart as humans kate metz is the subject matter expert for this tuesday he's a technology correspondent covering artificial intelligence at the new york times he's also the author of the book genius makers the mavericks who brought ai to google facebook and the world kate it's good to have you on the pod great to be here thank you so look is there a 30 second definition of artificial intelligence that you can offer or is that just a ridiculous question
2: well i think it's i think it's the the question that needs to be asked and i'll do my best here because this is this is part of the issue is how you define that term and i think it has just the choice of that term has confused a lot of people artificial intelligence is not one thing it's not a single technology it's a term that is applied to all sorts of technologies that vaguely behave like the human brain and in some cases um aren't even close to behaving like the human brain or if they do vaguely behave like it they don't do a very good job of it Hmm. um that's what people need to remember it's a term that was coined in the 50s the 1950s it was an aspirational term um, referring to what scientists wanted to build, they still haven't actually built that. They have not built uh, a system that can behave uh, entirely like the human brain. Um, we, we have technology that can perform specific tasks, um, um, you know, reasonably well in some cases, but these tasks are limited. Technology today cannot mimic what you can do as a human, full stop. Hmm. You know,
0: it's so funny. We still haven't really as a society landed on a definition of even what intelligence is and, and how to measure our own human intelligence. So I can imagine that's part of the struggle in defining what artificial
2: intelligence would be. It's a great point. You know, when this field of artificial intelligence was created in the 1950s, The aim was to mimic the human brain, but scientists then did not know how the human brain operated. Um, To to a large extent, we still don't know. The brain is a mystery um, in so many respects and we have some understanding of how it works, Um, but um, that's a very small understanding. And if that's all we have when it comes to the human brain, uh, when it comes to understanding, how can we duplicate it? Um, The fact of the matter is we don't know how the brain works and we don't know how to duplicate what it does. All right, I'm just going to cut to the chase. Uh, How worried should we be
1: about artificial intelligence?
2: Well, when we hear that term... We almost automatically get worried, right? We all grow up. <laughs> yes, we, uh, we we well, grow set up, it up uh, with what should we be worried about? <laughs> <laughs> right. See, um, I understand the question, right? We we you and me and everyone listening out there grew up on science fiction television and movies and books. Um, that are sort of designed to make us worried, right? They're, the trope is that the machines are going to exceed what we can do um, and somehow harm us, or, or turn on us, and even or even destroy us, right? One of my favorite movies is Stanley Kubrick's Two Thousand and One, and that's mm-hmm. what happens in that movie. And uh, you know, since in the decades since then, this is this is the trope that that we all grew up with. So we, you know, when we hear that term artificial intelligence and it's getting better one of the first things our mind leaps to is should i be worried is this going to harm me in some way is it going to um end up destroying the world even Mm -hmm. Um, you know those those are the questions that, that that come up there are reasons to be worried um, and we can talk about those. But the notion that AI can spin outside of our control at this point in the way it does in movies um, and can destroy the universe, that those notions are still very, very much in the future if they do indeed come to pass, right? This, this is technology that we have control over and we have control over how it's built. Um, and we can go into the more specific concerns um, but this sort of notion that the AI is becoming sentient like it does in the movies now and conscious and it's going to turn on us, that, that that is not worth talking about at this point unless you're a philosopher.
0: <laughs> so small tangent, which is in defense of sci-fi, there's quite a bit of sci-fi that does have AI for good. and McCaffrey writes quite a bit of it bit of it if anybody's interested. But you were saying in terms of sentience, that the conversation about sentience isn't even worthwhile right now. And yet there are people having that conversation with some people even saying that AI has proved to be aware. Where does that even come from? And why do you think they're wrong then?
2: Well, I wrote a big feature article in the Times um, this summer about this very notion. Many people who work in the AI field think about this these these uh, technologies and they think about this research and they think about the world in general in a very different way than you or I do. They talk in a very different way than you or I do. they, they live with one foot in the future. They are like the, the researchers in the 1950s who founded the field they aspire to build technology that can behave like the brain. And their aspirations come through when they talk about the technology today. They talk about it as if it already does things that they want it to do. Um, you know, some people in the field, and I think this is a really good analogy they they talk about this this attitude as almost like a religion that some people um you know begin to see human qualities and talk about the technology in these aspirational ways. And they kind of, as they come to believe that the technology has become sentient or, or will soon, they kind of spread that belief to other people. Um, and and you see this in the field, um, um, that as we have progress in very specific areas, more and more people in the field begin to believe that we're on our way to producing something um, that is far more powerful, and we're we're not there yet. Um, again, we have gains in very specific areas, but you do have some of the people building the technology talking about this in ways that can confuse people like you and me. And this has spilled out into the press recently, and it spilled into Twitter. And when the layperson hears this, um, they they just assume that it's true, right? These are people building the technology. If they say it's true, it must be true, but the reality is very different.
1: So who's doing AI well? And by well, I, I think what I mean is um, consumer facing uh, um, holistically with, with, you know, some degree of corporate profit in mind, but that's not the entire rationale for their work in AI or is that too narrow a set of parameters actually
2: no i think it's good i think that's the way we have to think about this and you can very easily show where the progress is okay we've had a lot of progress over the last 10 years and it's in you know some you know really particular areas like i said before one is speech recognition right the ability for a a, a technology like siri to recognize the words that you speak right that there's been big gains there everybody can relate to that most people have used something like siri or alexa right it's pretty good at recognizing um the words that you say similarly image recognition is another area and and people can understand this right with face recognition services um online or services like google photos that can recognize objects um in the images that you post to the internet right you can type in the google photos show me all the pictures i have of cars and it'll bring those up it's gotten very good at recognizing um what's in images and this is what the technology that's beginning to power self-driving cars right this is how they recognize stop signs and street markings and pedestrians on the road and other vehicles Again, the technology is very good in that area. A third is translation. Anyone who's used Google Translate, an online service, over the past um, decade has seen how good it has gotten. It's not perfect, but it's gotten pretty good at translating between, say, English and French and and back again. Those areas are real um, and they're... They're areas that the consumer, and I think you're right to focus on the everyday person, they can experience those things, and they have. Hmm. So what's interesting is that all those gains are driven by the same basic idea. It's, it's a, a, a mathematical system uh, called a neural network. And it's a, a mathematical system that can learn tasks by analyzing data. And that's how all those systems were built. Like you you feed a hundred, you, know, uh, you know, several thousand cat photos into a neural network, it can learn to recognize a cat. You feed spoken words into a neural network, it can learn to recognize uh, the words that you say. You feed translations into it, it can learn to translate. That is what has occurred over the past 10 years is the rise of that one idea, a mathematical system called a neural network.
0: I feel like... You know, in the sci-fi version of of AI, people used to talk about the Turing test and how you would finally know that AI was aware. But given all the stuff that you've laid out, like, do do those kinds of tests even exist or matter anymore?
2: Another great question. So what is is happening now is that people are taking that idea, the idea of a neural network, and... They're expanding on it. What they're doing is they're taking Wikipedia articles by the thousands, digital books by the thousands, as much digital text as they can grab from the internet. These are researchers. They're grabbing as much text as they can, and they're feeding that into a neural network. And this mathematical system analyzes that text for months, looking for patterns in the way you and I, um, write and converse, um, in text online. And it's learning to recognize, um, those patterns after months and months and months, uh, of training, this system can, it can generate its own tweets. It can generate its own blog posts. Hmm. And to a certain extent, it can even carry on a conversation. Um, and it's remarkable what it can do, right? Sometimes like the language is just, it's pitch perfect and it's perfectly punctuated and and your jaw drops because it can produce this tweet or this blog post. But it only does that part of the time. And when you start to converse with it or try to converse with it, the conversation breaks down after a few turns and it starts to spew nonsense. And, you know, it's not intelligent in the way that you and I are. It's good at mimicking language in some cases. Um, and it's also extremely flawed to the point where if you use these systems, you can tell that it's not a person behind that screen. It is a technology that is extremely flawed. Um, you know, some people, you know, it still insist that this technology um, is conscious um, somehow of the world, um, or they, at least think it's a path towards producing that sort of thing. But as it stands now, it's not there, and um, it's getting there. And those those types of tests you talk about, you know, where um, where you see if you can tell if it's a person or a machine, you know, conversing with you. People are already being fooled by this very very flawed technology. So, is that a valid test? If this flawed, simple technology we have today is already fooling people. As it gets better, you know, it's going to fool more more people. Um, is that really the way we should judge these systems?
1: So understanding that this, the development of AI is an iterative process, what's the next big thing we ought to be looking for?
2: Well, I think conversation is one area, right? It is getting better, and that's always been a goal of the AI field is to produce a system that can converse. And so these these types of of systems I've been talking about, they're called large language models and they can do all sorts of things, like I said, generate tweets and blog posts mm-hmm. and, and computer programs even and they can do conversation. And conversation is an area that can be really powerful, right? You can do a lot of things online from, you know, customer service to, you know, other sort of interfaces that let you use a world of different applications online. But this is also a real concern, um, and you know what we're seeing is systems that can not only converse and produce um, tweets and blog posts, but generate images on their own that look like the real thing. The concern here is that machines are getting better and better at producing misinformation. Right? Mm-hmm. The the fake text, the fake images look like the real thing, and you know we've already seen problems. Um, with that sort of thing in the past when humans generate the fake images and the fake text. When machines can do it at a scale that we never could, then we're in trouble.
1: Yeah, that's not Especially the last word on this that I wanted to hear. But, you know,
2: it, is, it is what
1: it is. Cade <laughs> Metz uh, is a technology correspondent uh, for the New York Times. He covers uh, artificial intelligence. Also writes books. His latest one is called Genius Makers, The Mavericks Who Brought AI to Google, Facebook, and the World. Cade, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Thanks, Kate. Thanks, Cade.
2: Enjoyed it. Thank you. Man, oh, man. Well, you know. Did
0: you see that article about the um, AI-generated painting that won the fine arts competition? Oh,
1: no. No.
0: Yeah, it's n- understandably upsetting many yeah, artists. Sure. Um, it's a very pretty painting-ish. I guess it's not really a painting. It's a image-generated. <laughs> yeah. But, um yeah that is pretty wild and then i had a conversation today with someone about how um ai is being deployed in agricultural technology
1: oh wow super yeah yeah it's way high tech man holy cow yeah yeah Yeah. way high tech
0: yeah Mm. oh well (laughs) all right well uh let us know what you think of uh the role that ai is playing in the world and perhaps your recommendations for good ai in science fiction (laughs) Because it's not all bad, I swear. <laughs> and uh, You're really sticking uh, up for her th- genre
1: of choice—that's all I'm saying.
0: You know, I really am a split between science fiction and fantasy, but oh, like yeah. the particular series I'm thinking of, you know, crosses genres. But anyway, yes, I am going to that. Uh, but let us know what you think about artificial intelligence and uh, the role it's playing in in our world current world and the future world future I guess world, I our number is 508-827-6278 also known as 508 UB smart you can also send us a voice memo at make dot org, and we will be right back Okay, we are back, and now it is time for our news fixes of the day.
1: Kai. Well, so actually, I think you ought to do your first one first, and then we can go into mine, and then your second two, because those those last three are of a piece, I think, right?
0: Yes. Okay. Well, my first one is just sort of an acknowledgement of what we've kind of been Mm -hmm. talking about for some time, but Russia basically said the quiet part out loud today in that they are not going to resume natural gas supplies at the same level to Europe until the sanctions are lifted. And so they were sort of dancing around this topic like, oh, we need to repair these things or we're waiting on this. But today they were just like, well, we can't possibly make the necessary repairs to reopen Nord Stream 1 until all these sanctions are lifted that are preventing us from getting the parts we need to fix it. So Russia is being way more open about the fact that the return of natural gas supplies to Europe is contingent on the sanctions being lifted related to the war in Ukraine, which means, as we've said before, it's going to be a real cold winter in a lot of Europe.
1: Yeah. Not good news. Not good news. Uh, okay, so I'll do mine and then and then we can roll into yours. So uh, I get like a zillion newsletters every day, as I'm sure uh, most mm-hmm. listeners do, and um, most of them I read the headline real quick and then I uh, screwed on by. Except of course the Make Me Smart newsletter, that's a whole different thing, <clears throat> of course. Yes. Deep um, but anyway, so I uh, I read the subject line on the 5:38 newsletter today, and it got me clicking because the headline was or the subject line, I guess, was more than one in two Americans will have an election denier on the ballot this fall. Think about that for a minute. Half of Americans, more than half of Americans will have an election denier on the ballot this fall, which is just bananas. It's, I mean, it's terrible and horrible and bad and anti-democratic and, but it's mind boggling. And I I will put this on the show page because uh, uh, you ought to click through. They do all kinds of data viz on this and and who's where and who's likely to win and and all of this jazz. But you know Texas, Florida, Pennsylvania, Ohio, lots of them, Michigan, lots of them, Wisconsin, lots of them. Um, uh, it's amaze balls, just craziness.
0: Yeah, some of these visualizations yeah. are really disturbing because yeah. um, yeah. it's it's not even like. It's one part of the country. No. It's pretty well distributed yeah. throughout the entire country. And in some cases, it looks like, what, all of the counties? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or all, oh my all, gosh. All
1: the, it's, I think it's all the primaries. But, but yeah. All the it's, primaries, um, yeah. Still, just terrible. <sighs> Not great.
0: Okay. Well, in the ongoing fallout of election denial and the just way that the January 6th attacks on the Capitol are, Continuing to have legal consequences for many of those who decided to come to my fair city that day and cause problems uh, in New Mexico, a judge has. I'm reading here from the Citizens for Responsible Ethics in Washington. I think I got the acronym right. Uh, crew. They're very famous for mm-hmm. filing all these lawsuits for against Trump administration when he was in office, but now against a lot of these January six people. Here's a, here's the the main information. A New Mexico judge ordered Otero County Commissioner Coy Griffin to be removed from office effective immediately, ruling that the attack on the Capitol was an insurrection and that Griffin's participation in it disqualified him under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. This decision marks the first time since 1869 that a court has disqualified a public official under Section 3 and the first time that any court has ruled the events of January 6, 2017. 2021 an insurrection this is one of the sort of issues that's been bubbling in the background around all these legal cases related to january 6th if you get enough judges and get enough legal decisions that it was officially an insurrection that it was officially an attempt to overturn the government you can go after anybody who participated and say you can never run for office again Like it's in the 14th Amendment and that could apply to many of the lawmakers who showed up that day who are currently sitting members of Congress. Um, Some people say you could apply it to President Trump himself or former President Trump, I should say. And so the fact that this man, apparently he has been told to clear out his office already and I'm sure it will be appealed. But this is this is an important marker.
1: Yeah, it's huge, 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 huge. Appeal's coming for sure, by the way. Oh, yeah. Uh, all right. That's the news. Uh, mildly depressing news, actually. Um, but let's do uh, the mailbag. Hear from y'all.
2: Hi,
0: Kai and Kimberly. This
1: is Godfrey from San Francisco. Jesse
0: from Charleston, South Carolina. And I have a follow-up question. It has me thinking and feeling a lot of things.
1: A lot of things. So we talked last week uh, about productivity. Also, we did some quiet quitting in there, which got us this from Megan.
2: Hey y'all, this is Megan from Flyerman,
1: Texas. My thoughts are about quiet quitting and also being one of the
0: couples who delayed having children because of the pandemic. We finally decided to have our first child. She's two months old and after working extensively because we had nothing else to do for two years during the pandemic. Now we have a newborn. And when I go back to work in a month, you better believe that I'm going to be doing what I need to and very, Not much more because I have Mm -hmm. a new priority in my life. And I wonder how many other people are experiencing this where their productivity was up during the pandemic because they had nothing else to do. But now Mm -hmm. in my generation, we're having those kids we held off from having for so long. Mm -hmm. Or having the life that you couldn't have during the pandemic because pandemic. Yeah, Um, yeah, I mean, this is one of the things I was wondering last week. Like, is it as much quiet quitting or just a reset?
1: Right. (laughs) Right. I think that's right. I think it is a reset, to be honest with you. A oh, way mm-hmm. overdue reset, by the by. Sorry. For sure. Yep.
0: Okay. Uh, now let's go to Dave in Virginia.
2: Hello, Kyberly. Oh, I just Jesus. had a little story no. that I no. funny, but I'd like to share with you. Uh, a couple months back, I switched my Siri voice to be, you know, the one that kind of sounds like Kimberly. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I thought I'd leave oh, it like dude, that for man. maybe a week for a laugh and then switch it back and I just I can't be bothered to switch it back. It takes more effort than it is worth. Um, But I realized just earlier today that uh, I have been saying please and thank you to Siri a lot more than I used to. And uh, I know that says something about me, but I'm not quite sure what.
1: Here's what it says. It's anthropomorphization. It's attributing human qualities to a machine or something like that. Totally get it. Also, just no on the Kyberly thing. No. No, you'll be blocked and banned from this program forever if you call us and say that. That's I. I. That's just that's a host rule. Sorry, host. We variety.
0: have our own identities. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess I should say thank you for right, being right, nice right. to the artificial voice that sounds sort of like oh me. I guess oh so weird.
1: <laughs> all right. We go out, as we always do, with uh, this week's answer to the Make Me Smart question. What is something you uh, thought you knew but later found out you were wrong about? Uh, this week's answer comes from Kyla Scanlon. She is a financial um, wizard on the socials, man. TikTok and Insta and all that. Um, she's going to be on Marketplace tomorrow, but uh, here is her answer to our Make Me Smart question. So something that I thought I knew really well was like how different emotions processed. So I thought that grief and love were like two separate things, but they're actually derivatives of essentially the same thing, but expressed differently. So that sort of changed how I think about emotions because I thought they were a little bit more separated, but it turns out there's a lot of like bleed over between them. Yeah. Was that totally like, should I talk about the economy? No, that was was totally profound. That was totally profound. Okay, cool, cool. (laughs) Totally, totally profound. All right, so that was me way off mic there after she answered that question, but I thought that was kind of interesting. Actually, it was completely random, but totally interesting.
0: No, super fascinating. Yeah. I mean, because yeah. I guess the harder you love, the harder you grieve, right? Right,
1: makes sense. So they makes have sense. to
0: be tied together. Anyway,
1: Ky- Kyla coming up on Marketplace tomorrow. I think uh, I think we're going to run it at length. She was she was kind of a hoot.
0: <laughs> Great. All right, you can send us your answers to the Make Me Smart question via voice memo to our email at marketplace.org. You can also leave it as a message for us at
1: 508-827-6278. Make Me Smart is directed and produced... Not produced and directed, but directed and produced by Marissa Cabrera. Our intern is Olivia Zhao. <laughs> I don't know. Ellen Rolfes writes our newsletter. Today's program was engineered by Juan Carlos Torado. No, it wasn't. It's, no, Drew it's across true across the glass from me. I'm just saying. God, once again, I'm Ron <laughs> freaking Burgundy in this podcast. I mean, <laughs> going to mix it down later, Ben Tallade and Daniel Ramirez, I think, wrote our theme music. I don't even know anymore.
0: I'm pretty sure our senior producer is Bridget Bodner, Maybe. Donna Tam, is the director of On Demand. Francesca Levy is the executive director of Digital and marketplace's vice president and general manager is Neil Scarborough. You have to dress up like that character for Halloween.
1: I absolutely do not. And if you
0: don't, you don't tell me I, that you don't dress up for Halloween. I of course, don't I don't know know dress
1: up for Halloween. Have you? Oh, do we? God. How long have we known each other?